I'm excited to be here as part of the guest speaker series that we do every year in August. I, it begs the question whether I can be a guest in my home church when I'm normally out there with you guys and I'm up here, but I am, have been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, you will have noticed, up, it said I bat left. That is completely false. I bat right. But there's a baseball theme that is going to be used to introduce the guest speakers for the next few weeks. So I thought I should wear my jersey. No, I am not the guy that brings baseball into every sermon here at New Life, but we miss Brett and we look forward to him being back. Uh, Andy Spray told me I needed to up my jersey game, that we needed to upgrade my jersey because this is a Daniel Murphy jersey. But I love Daniel Murphy. I think he's the man, and I think he tried to live out what we're going to be talking about this morning, and it's my only Nationals jersey, so there you go. Um, You may have seen the picture up there of me with my brilliant and amazing and way ahead of her years or months granddaughter. Um, She turns three months tomorrow. Thank you. Um, I saw her yesterday, and I was holding her, and she said to me, (laughs) I'm praying for your sermon tomorrow. I hope it goes well. And can I have a cookie? (laughs) Now, to the uninitiated, it might have sounded a lot like she said, ah, but I knew what she was talking about. We have a thing. And I said, thank you for your prayers, Addie, and no, you can't have a cookie. You don't even have teeth. Um, but this, the, the, the guest series that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is on hard questions and biblical answers. And, and, and to be honest, I'm not even sure what the next several speakers are going to be speaking on. I don't even know who's coming. I could have asked that question, and I didn't. But there are a couple of different kinds of hard questions we talk about. Certainly, there's the hard questions where there are biblical answers where we have to dive into God's Word to figure it out. But there are also some that maybe are even a little pre-that. We might say, is there evidence that suggests a rational, thoughtful person can believe that God exists or that Jesus actually rose from the dead or that Christianity is the only way to God? How can we know that? How can we know anything? What, how does truth work when it comes to religion, God, Christianity? Uh, How can we know that the Bible is reliable historically? And I've written a book about that. And some of you in here, and here it is, and it's in print now, and we have some in the back that I'll sell you. I'm not up here hawking books. They're being sold for the same price I get them for because I hope that some of you will buy them, not just for yourself, though I hope it will encourage you and challenge you to think about these kind of questions well, but because I also spend four chapters talking about how we can have a relationship with God. And my most significant hope is that my church family will read this and want to give it to a friend of theirs or multiple friends. It's been incredibly humbling and encouraging to hear stories about how God has been using this already. And one of the most encouraging stories, I think, is there are a couple of different instances in which people have decided to start a book group with non-Christians to talk about the stuff that's in this book. So, Buy it if you want. There's also a couple of great books like this back there, maybe even better than this one, but maybe this would be interesting for you to give to a friend to say a friend of mine or somebody at my church wrote this, and uh, I thought you might think it was interesting. Anyway, enough of that. They're in the back if you want them. This morning's question that we're talking about, however, is how can I, as an individual, make a difference in this world that is running 180 degrees away from God? We live in a culture that is, in some ways, feels like it's coming off the rails. And when I say that, I understand that different people in here probably have a different understanding of what coming off the rails means, but there are a lot of ways we can 
apply that and think about that. And as we think about this, this topic, really, it's going to be an extension of what Walker Galding talk about last, talked about last week. Because when he was here, he said he challenged us to be people that did not play it safe. He challenged us to be people that were willing to live dangerously for the Lord. And maybe some or, or many of you that were here last week left ready to run through a wall for the Lord. You were fired up. You said, I want to live dangerously. I want to not play it safe. Walker said, the world doesn't remember and legends are not made by those who take the safe route. He said, God wants to use you. I'm not sure how he will use you individually, but I do not think it will happen by playing it safe. And some of you walked out, fired up. I want to live dangerously. What wall do I run through, right? And, and, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is what it looks like, practically speaking, to live dangerously, to make a difference. How is it that we can make a difference? Now, I've got to tell you right from the beginning, I have an audacious goal this morning. In fact, when I told Brett what I was thinking the Lord was leading me to do this morning, I said, feel free to talk me out of it. <laughs> because even at 8 o'clock this morning, I wasn't sure this was going to work. Having one service under my belt, it kind of did work. And so, it's, so you, you get round two of this. But what we're going to do this morning is not look at a passage or a verse from Scripture. We're going to go through an entire book in the New Testament, the entire book of 2 Timothy. And yes, believe it or not, by the end of the sermon, by God's grace, we're going to have read the entire thing together. And that might sound like a lot, but we're going to try it. And we're going to try it because I have two goals this morning for you. Goal number one is that you would walk out of here not just of having heard an entire book of the New Testament, but having a solid understanding of what the whole book is about that you maybe even could repeat on the way home. Okay? That's goal number one. But we do not just want to be hearers of the Word. This cannot be a simple intellectual exercise. This has got to be a life change exercise. My bigger goal is that the God of the universe would work through His Word as you hear it to convict you to change something about your life as you walk out of here and in the coming days and weeks. That literally God would change something about your life through His Word. It's not me that it's going to do it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that will do it. But that's what I'm praying about as we dig in. And we're going to read together and we're going to talk about the book of 2 Timothy, a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to Timothy when Paul was in prison and he was about to die. Timothy was one of his boys, somebody that Paul had invested in. He had spent time, he had known Timothy well and loved him, and we're going to see that in, the, in this letter. Um, and, and, and by the way, for this to work, for us to pull this off this morning and for you to walk out of here thinking, yeah, that was helpful, that was good, I need this to be a little bit of an audience participation thing. Uh, and that goes for those of you online as well. But, it, but for those of you that are here, and I think you'd have a way to download it online, but those of you that are here, you have the entire second, the book of 2 Timothy, the letter from Paul to Timothy right in your seat, and you have a pen. And I want you to do something this morning for me to help make this work. And here's what I want you to do. I, I liter even if you don't normally do this at church, I want you to pull that out, and as we go through this, I want you to highlight, or with your pen, I want you to underline things that are interesting, things that are encouraging, things that are particularly things that are challenging. 
I want you to find practical applications in here and say, this, I, I, I need to grow in this area of my life and make notes in the margin. And even if you make notes about something God puts on your heart that's not exactly related to what I'm saying, that's okay. Because at the end, I want to ask you to pick one of those applications that you've underlined and ask God to change you as a result of having heard and read His Word. All right. What we're going to see in this letter, first of all, it's only about two and a half pages long. Someone said to me after the first service, of course it's not too long to do this whole thing in a service. I feared that it would be. She said, you don't get a letter from somebody and read about a third of it and go, I'll read the rest later, right? This was a letter from Paul who's in prison about to be executed for his faith to Timothy, his protege. Now, I hope that each of you could think of someone in your life who has invested in you, who has encouraged you, who has built you up, who has challenged you when you needed it, but who's loved you well. I hope that we all have one or more people like that that have been in our lives, and I want you to think about that person that's invested in you and loved you and poured into you and challenged you and encouraged you and built you up when you needed it. I want you to think about that person and imagine that they were on death row about to die for their faith. This is their letter to you. And we're going to see that this is a very emotional, incredibly personal letter from Paul to one of his boys, to his protege. Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus, and this has been called Paul's last will and testament to Timothy and to the church, and as we'll see, to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as we think about what we're going to try to do here this morning, we thank you that this is your word. And Lord, we ask you, we call on you, we need you to speak to our hearts through it. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So get out your letter because here we go. Buckle up your seatbelts. I told Brett I was thinking about doing this, and he said, I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. It'll be interesting. Let's see how it goes. And so he texted me something interesting between services. I mean, something very encouraging. But buckle up. Let's dive in here. Get your pen out because I want you underlining. I want to see people underlining, writing notes. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dearly loved son, from the very beginning, we're going to see Paul's love for Timothy, and we're going to see this very personal letter that we get to peek into. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. I'll pause there. Men and women, if we want to be people that make a difference in a culture that is running 180 degrees away from God, we need to be men and women that live what we believe we want to live dangerously, we need to obey. We need to ask God to change us so that we could say to someone else, I serve God with a clear conscience. For some of you, you walked in here this morning without a clear conscience. There's something going on in your life. There's a sin in your life. There's something that which you, of which you need to repent. And maybe that's the application right from the beginning for you. If there is sin that you're just letting go in your life and you know that God would have you change, we can't say to God, I serve God with a clear conscience if there's something in our life that we've not repented of. Maybe that's practical application number one for you. 
I serve God, whom I serve God the clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, Timothy, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Paul is invested in Timothy. He spent time with him. He knows his family. He knows Timothy, and he longs to see him so that he might be filled with joy. If there is someone in your life that God has given you the privilege of investing in, and you pray for them constantly, day and night, you know how much you can't wait to see them if they're apart from you. Here's another possible practical application right at the beginning. If there's someone in your life that you care about immensely, and you are not praying for them constantly, whenever they come to mind, day and night, praying for them constantly, I would ask what the problem is. Is it that you don't believe that God answers prayer? That you don't believe that that person needs prayer? That maybe you're so caught up in the current lower story world that you're not believing that the upper story is important? There's so many reasons that we might not pray. So many reasons that I don't pray sometimes the way I should for people. But we see here, if Paul is seeking to make a difference in Timothy's life, it, an enormous element is prayer, significant prayer. And we see how much Paul loves Timothy. Therefore, verse 6, I remind you to rekindle the gift, Timothy. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. That last phrase, sound judgment, could be translated sound mind, self-discipline, self-control, sound judgment. It's an odd word that doesn't translate directly. But the point here is whatever the gift is, we're not sure what the gift is that God gave to Timothy through Paul, but whatever it is, Paul, I mean, Timothy maybe wasn't using it as he should. He might have been retreating. He might have been chilling a little bit, right, and not using that gift because Paul calls on him to rekindle it. Paul is about to die. Let's get this clear. He's about to die, and he has felt responsible with the other apostles of helping pass on his faith. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, but he knows he's passing on. Timothy is one of his key guys, and he's, it's go time, Timothy. Let's go. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And some of us need to recognize that God has not given us a spirit of fear. There might be something going on in your life. I know people, I've talked to people in the last week that I care about immensely and that I pray for a lot who are going through some scary things. A couple people in particular stand out to me. You've got a couple of health things that are scary. And I've tried to encourage them and help them see truth and help them see the big picture and that God wants to know, do we trust him? But, and that we talk about fear because it's real. We have fear sometimes, but what's important is how we respond to fear. God is, fear is not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So, Timothy, Paul writes, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering. Two phrases right there we're going to see repeated. Why? Possibly because Timothy was likely to be ashamed. He was likely to step back. He was likely to retreat. What we know about Timothy from the book of 1 Timothy and the book of 2 Timothy is that he was young. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, let no one look down upon you because of your youth. 
we know that he was prone to illness, and we know that he was likely to be timid. That's part of the reason Paul says over and over, do not be ashamed, Timothy. By the way, we, we might call Timothy today an introvert. And sometimes we think about ministry and we think, yeah, that's for the extroverts. I'm an introvert. I'm the guy that is happy if no one sits next to me on the airplane. I am recharged by downtime. But if someone does sit next to me on the airplane, I'm going to talk to them because maybe God is, maybe that's a divine appointment. There may be an opportunity for God to do something through that conversation. But, but we, introverts need to hear that God wants to use you in people's lives, even if your natural inclination is to be reserved. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me of his prisoner. It would be easy for us sometimes to feel ashamed if it would put us in an awkward position to talk about our faith. Maybe ashamed isn't quite the right, right word, but reticent, right? Not out there. We don't want to be out there. Or to be ashamed of someone who takes a strong stand for Christ that's a good friend of ours that we love. And maybe that person goes wild some way for their faith, and we are tempted to go, oh. And it happens to everyone sometimes. The temptation does. Peter told Jesus, I will never deny you. And the next day, he denies him three times, twice to servant girls. And then there's that powerful, powerful phrase that says, and Jesus, after the cock crowed three times, after the cock crowed, um, Jesus looked at Peter. And I'm sure it was a look of compassion but it had to kill Peter to know that Jesus had predicted he would, he would deny him, and Peter said, I'll never do it, and the very next day he does it. It's tempting for all of us sometimes to, maybe ashamed isn't quite the right word, but to retreat. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. How do we do this? We can't muster up the strength in and of ourselves. We must rely on the power of God, especially if you're introverted right, that we are called to share in suffering for the gospel by God's power. Why? Why should we do this? Paul gets to our motivation right here, verse 9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. This is an incredible verse. Listen to this. Called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, praise God, because who in here deserves it according to the good things we've done, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That's amazing. God has set a purpose for your life. Jesus has. Jesus is eternal. He wasn't just born to Mary. He existed in all of eternity. Creation, John tells us, was made through him. And in all of eternity, before you were born, before your parents were born, before all of time, God gave you a purpose and his grace, it says right here. And that's the root of our identity. That's the core of who we are. It's the most important thing about us. And sometimes we wrestle with this idea, what's my purpose? You have a God-given purpose that you may or may not have completely discovered yet, and that's okay. It's a process. But man, that's encouraging. Not just that God has saved us and called us to the holy calling. That's amazing but that according to his purpose and grace given to us before time began. That's amazing. That's the foundation for who we are, for our, our identity. Verse 10, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. Does that mean death no longer happens? Of course not. Death, death happens. 
but it means it's taken the sting away. And Paul could write elsewhere that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because when I die, I'm going to be in eternity with the Lord. So he has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, Paul writes, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to guard that which has been entrusted to me until that day. So, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Paul writes, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And this is the first big idea I want you to catch from this letter from Paul to Timothy, that we are to guard the gospel, not let it get watered down, not let it get changed, not let it be adapting based on what's happening in our culture and what people believe today. The gospel is what it is, and Paul challenges Timothy to guard it. He's passing on the baton. He knows he's about to die, and he wants Timothy to run with it. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You know, he writes, and this is one of the first times we see Paul again start to get personal in this letter, that all of those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord, though, grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He was the man. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched me, uh, searched for me and found me. Implication being there, when Paul was thrown in some dungeon somewhere, Onesiphorus didn't give up. Men and women, maybe a practical application for you is to be a friend like Onesiphorus and learn to say that word. (laughs) On the contrary, when in Rome he diligently searched for me and found me, may the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. You, therefore, chapter 2, Paul writes... Be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why can we be strong in grace? We don't deserve his grace. We didn't earn it. And when we see this phrase, be strong, we're tempted to think that we're to, you know, pull up our bootstraps and go get it, that it's on us. But it's a very interesting phrase, and you would do well to sit and ponder this verse this week. What does it mean to be strong in the grace? It means to find our strength not in how brave I am, not in how extroverted I am, not in how outgoing I am, not in how thoughtful, smart, whatever you tend to fill in the blank with as a way that you see yourself, but we're to be strong in understanding what Christ has done for us, that we live out our identity as someone that he has saved and called even from before the beginning of time, which is amazing. Be strong in that, in God's grace. We didn't earn it, we can't earn it, and we can't do anything apart from him doing it through us. We could take strength and comfort in that, that he's promised to do this, but not in our own goodness, strength, intelligence, whatever. So Paul says, guard the gospel. And the second big idea I want you to see here in this book is verse 2. It's where everything changes for us. Paul writes to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Anyone that knows me very well has heard me talk about this verse because it is sort of a life verse for me. Paul says, guard the gospel, Timothy, and pass it on. That's God's plan for reaching the world. That's how we change a world that's running 180 degrees away from God. The things Paul says 
Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass these on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is a command to us because if Paul told Timothy to do that and Timothy did that to some guys and those guys did that to some guys and those guys did that to some guys and eventually it worked its way down to us, we are challenged to take which we have, the truth that we have heard and to entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Who has God put in your life that you might be able to disciple? And if you can't answer that, you need to start praying that God would put people in your life that you might be able to entrust the things you've learned so that they will be able to pass it on to other people. Jesus said it like this, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. That's a command. That's his plan for reaching the world. That's how the world is going to change when we, the church at New Life, and the larger Christian church in general, take this command seriously. So Paul says, guard the gospel and pass it on. And by the way, it's not going to be easy. Verse 3, chapter 2, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus And we see this as a theme all the way through the book, that we are to suffer for the gospel. There are preachers and teachers out there that teach what's called a prosperity gospel. You do this and everything's going to go great in your life. Usually they say, you send me a check and everything's going to go great in your life. But here's the deal. If you're not learning that Christianity on this planet is going to involve suffering, you are not hearing what's true. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. That means don't let the things in the lower story distract us from living for things for the upper story. The good soldier seeks to please his commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. We see here three illustrations from Paul to Timothy, the soldier who's to be obedient to his commanding officer, who's going to do what his commanding officer wants, the athlete who's going to do things right. If you don't do things right, if you don't do things right, you try to make, take a shortcut, we know that's going to go badly, and the hardworking farmer that's willing to put in the time, to put in the hours, to sacrifice time for the larger vision. Consider what I say, verse 7, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. There's two parts of that. The Lord will give us understanding. But this, this word consider in its original language has a hint of ponder, wrestle with, sit in this for a while, think about this. It's easy for us sometimes to think, yeah, I need to read the Bible, and I'm going to work in five minutes, so I'm going to go read three verses, and then I'm out. And we read the three verses, and we think, good, I've checked off that for the day. We need to water ski through the Bible and read at a high level, but we also need to scuba dive. We'll talk more about that in a second. Paul says, guard the gospel, Timothy, pass it on and suffer for it. What's our motivation? Here we go. Back to the same thing he talked about in chapter 1. Remember verse 8, Jesus Christ. That's our motivation, what Christ has done for us. Risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Amazing. Our motivation must be one of gratitude in remembering what Christ has done for us. It's a response 
Does he command us to do certain things? Yes, but our motivation, especially if we begin to suffer, the more we remember what he did for us, how he suffered for us, the more we're going to be willing to say, yeah, I know this isn't my home. I know where my real home is, and I'm willing to suffer for a short while here because even the sufferings I may go through here aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in Jesus Christ, right? I may have misquoted that, but you get the idea. Um, Paul says this, this saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That was a popular... Uh, uh, um, him back in Paul's day. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. But be diligent, Timothy. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. If we want to make a difference in this culture and we're going to guard the gospel, we got to know it. If we're going to guard the truth, we got to know it. And if we're going to pass it on, we got to know it. And it says here we're called to be diligent. To be diligent to correctly teach the word of truth. This might be a practical application for some of you. What are you doing to be diligent and deepening your understanding of God's word? You want to make a difference? In a culture that's running 180 degrees away from God, be diligent to present yourself as one approved, a worker who need not be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. We've all seen that. We've all seen that. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they're ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation sounds firm, stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Men and women, if we want to make a difference in people's lives, if we want to be able to pass on the gospel, guard it, pass it on, suffer for it, there is an element in which we must live it out. He gives a great illustration here. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver, silver vessels, but those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The, this is a conditional statement in verse 21, and the opposite is true. If anyone does not purify himself from something dishonorable, he will not be a special instrument. He will not be set apart. He will not be useful to the Lord. He will not be prepared for every good work. So Timothy, flee from passions of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, peace, and love along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to be the person God wants you to be and you're chasing after the Lord, following him, you need at least someone, preferably a couple someones in your life that are doing that alongside you. Friends, allies that are really chasing after the Lord. And if you have no, none of those people in your life, your passion is likely to wane. It's likely to weaken over time. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but be gentle to everyone, able to teach, patient, instructing his opponents with truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There's two parts of that, gentleness and instructing. 
Some of you are very good at the instructing. You, are, you will bring God's word to a situation even if it runs over people and you miss the gentleness part. But some of you are so interested and gentle that you would recoil from any conversation where there might be a disagreement. And we're instructed to do both, instructing his opponents with gentleness so that perhaps people will come to repentance. But know this, Paul has said what to Timothy? He said, guard the gospel, pass on the gospel, suffer, be willing to suffer for the gospel because our suffering here will be temporary. But know this, hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. This seems to imply these people might even exist in the church. Avoid these people, for among them are those who worm their way into households, deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins, and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and John Braves resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to their faith, but they will not make further progress. Their foolishness will be clear to all, as, as was the foolishness of Janus and John Braves. But you, Timothy, and you, New Life, and you, church, but you, Paul writes to Timothy, you have followed my teaching my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, Iconium, and Lystra. We just finished a series, or about finished, I think. I think we just finished on 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists the number of times he was beaten, he was hit, throw, had stones thrown at him, that he was shipwrecked, all the suffering he went through for the gospel. And it would have been so easy to give up what persecutions I endured, Paul writes, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, and here's one of the toughest verses in the entire letter, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's why I'm saying if we want to live dangerously, we don't want to live according, we, we don't want to take the safe route, then when we live and seek to live a godly life and ask God to give us the power to live a godly life, we will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Paul said, guard the gospel, Timothy. Pass it on. Suffer for it. And here and through the rest of the book, Press on in it. Persevere. Hang in there. We're not in a sprint. We're in a marathon. And Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and believed. You know those who taught you. You know that from infancy, infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There are a lot of people today that are questioning whether all scripture is inspired by God, and that leads down rabbit trails that get us away from truth, get us away from the gospel. That's why we need to guard the gospel as Paul did, not let it get watered down. And we'll wrap up quickly here and go through chapter 4 fairly quickly. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season, be ready out of season. Is this a practical application for some of you? You have non-Christians in your life that need Christ, and apart from Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Do you care? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Paul was pretty out of season, wasn't he? He's in chains in a prison, and he is still challenging Timothy and challenging us. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come, and tell me this doesn't sound like our culture today. For the time will come when people do not or will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy and new life. There's a thing happening out there called progressive Christianity. You may have heard about it, and it's some churches say we are a progressive Christian church, and by the way, that is not a good thing. Five marks of a progressive church. I read a a woman that wrote a blog on this. It was so good. She said there's five marks of a progressive Christian church. Number one, a lowered view of the Bible. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. Number three, essential Christian doctrines have become open to reinterpretation. Number four, historic terms are redefined. Number five, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Is social justice bad? Of course it's not bad, right? Of course it's not bad. But the root, the the core of the Bible is a message about sin and God's redemption, how much God loved his people and that he sent his only son to die on the cross because we need a savior. That's the message of it. Do we want to pursue social justice? Of course we do, but the, the core of the Bible. Anyway, we need to avoid this wanting to find teachers for ourselves because we have an itch to hear what we want to hear. That's why I love Brett, because he doesn't shy away from hard topics, and I'm so thankful for our pastor. I mean, that he's usually up here, and I'm so thankful for that. And then, and then Paul wraps up with this, and, and it gets personal here, and this is where you start to feel the, the immense weight of what Paul's feeling. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He was going to be executed shortly after this. He was beheaded. Uh, I, Tradition says at the exact same time Peter was crucified upside down on a cross, Paul was beheaded. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Men and women, may we be able to say that when we're on our deathbed. Paul challenged Timothy in 1 Timothy, fight the good fight. Here Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserve for me. You get this sense of Paul knowing he's going to die and looking forward to being home finally, free from all of the suffering, free from all of the sickness, free from everything he's going through. He says, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. It's kind of a rhyme. When you come, bring the cloak I left. It's cold. He wants his coat. 
bring the cloak I left with Troas and Carpus, I, I'm sorry, in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him for your, yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Greet Prisca and Aquila, the, the household of Anisiphorus. There's that dude again. We love him. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter, Timothy. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. And Paul writes to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. This is probably the last thing he's going to ever say to Timothy. He doesn't know if he's going to see him again. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. God has called us to guard the gospel, to pass it on, to be willing to suffer for it. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us, and he's had a purpose for us since the beginning of time, not just to pass it on, but to suffer for it and to press on in it. That's my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this example. Thank you for this challenging letter Thank you for giving us an insight into Paul's relationship with Timothy. Thank you, Father, that in the same way that you work through Paul, the same way that you work through Timothy, you want to work through us, whether we're introverts or extroverts. Paul challenged Timothy to guard the gospel, and Lord, help us do the same, not to water it down, not to fumble it, not to drop the baton. Help us pass it on. Lord, help us be willing to suffer for it because our suffering here is temporal. It's short-term. And help us press on, persevere because times will be hard and all that seek to live godly lives will be persecuted. Lord, we understand that. Thank you that you promised to strengthen us. Thank you that you promised to give us joy in the midst of all of that. Thank you the, for the ultimate joy that one day will be with you where there will be no more suffering. But help us, Lord, take people with us as we go. Lord, I pray specifically right now that you would be convicting people in this room of something you want to change in their lives as a result of your word. Would you do that this morning? Would you change lives by the power of your word through the power of the Holy Spirit? We ask you that in Christ's name. Amen.